Greetings, everyone. The Feast of Trumpets, as we all understand, pictures Christ's return. What a glorious and awesome promise that we have from the eternal God that Jesus Christ will return. But why must Christ return? Why must he come back to this earth? As we will see, the Bible prophesies increasing lawlessness and increasing anger, increasing danger, increasing wars, and it will become more and more important as prophecy unfolds for Jesus Christ to return. To review a couple principles as we begin this Feast of Trumpets sermon, let's just recall and remember who is the God of this world. We won't turn to the scripture because of time, and you're familiar with this Principle, but 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 reveals that the God of this world is none other than Satan the devil. And many people don't understand that. We understand that God the Father is unfathomably more powerful than Satan. He is perfect, full of love, righteous in every way. But the God of this age, the God of this world, is actually Satan the devil, and he influences people and nations. We know from John chapter 8, verse 44, another scripture we will not turn to, but as I begin the sermon, John 8, 44 reminds us that Satan was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. He's the father of lies. He's full of hatred. He's full of murder, and he is a liar. He stirs up discord and division And he wants there to be hatred amongst people and he wants there to be war and violence. And he's done quite an effective job uh, accomplishing those goals over the centuries. And we know it's going to get worse as the end of the age approaches. Let's go ahead and turn to James chapter 4 verse 1. James 4 verse 1 as we begin the sermon today. And again, remind ourselves uh, who is really influencing the world, whose sway is the world under? What's the driving force behind what we see in geopolitics and even in our communities and our neighborhoods so often? James chapter 4, verse 1. Here, the Bible asks us to consider where do wars and fights come from among you? Now, this is actually a question being posed to the brethren and the church. So whenever any of us fall into an attitude of carnality where we are uh, being divisive or angry or unforgiving or um, seeking our own um, our own uh, desires and we're not being humble toward one another and loving toward one another, then we can ask ourselves, where do these wrong attitudes come from? And so <clears throat> uh, verse 2, you lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, You fight in war, yet you do not uh, have because you do not ask. And so here God is introducing a principle, and uh, I'm sure that none of us are actually going out to war. We're not actually going out to battle. But there's a spiritual attitude that we're being warned against here where we're seeking our own desires instead of going to God and asking for God in a right attitude to provide 
not only for ourselves, but for our family and for the our, our, our spiritual brothers and sisters. Notice verse 3. <clears throat> you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. So here we're told that we can ask in the wrong way even. And then verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity toward God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So we have an interesting uh, principle here uh, that is being brought out by James through the Holy Spirit that when we ask in the wrong attitude or when we have a wrong attitude, uh, it's because we're being influenced by the world and we already established that it is Satan who is influencing the world uh, in a very real way. He is the God of this world, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians. So the title of the sermon today for the Feast of Trumpets is simply, Why Must the King Return? Why Must the King Return? And I think we've already established why the King must return, why Jesus Christ must return. We've already established that it is uh, Satan who is the, the God of this age. He's a murderer and a liar. He has been from the beginning of time. And we're now in the book of James where James is, is warning that strife and, and fights and so forth, lusting, they come from wrong attitudes, but we know that those attitudes are worldly attitudes, as he mentions in verse uh, 4 and 5. <clears throat> Let's continue. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity against God or enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us or which dwells in us yearns jealously? Brethren, as we pray and study about the meaning of the Feast of Trumpets and as we look forward to what it represents, that the King of Kings will return and establish God's righteous government on the earth, I think it's very helpful for us to remind ourselves why the king must return. And it's also very important for us to remember that we are sojourners, we are pilgrims, we are uh, citizens of heaven, but sojourners on this, on this earth. And this is Satan's world. And we yearn for Christ to return, to put Satan away, so that these carnal and evil attitudes are are put away as well. And there will still be some human nature in the millennium. We'll talk about that. But Satan will be put away and his demons will be put away. And so that is why Christ must return. And we see here in verse 5 that God is mentioning through James that his spirit is in us and the Holy Spirit in us yearns jealously. And that's a good thing. That's a good kind of jealousy. Uh, if we're converted and we have the Holy Spirit in us, we want to, we should want to obey God and we do want to obey God. We want our, our thoughts and our, our attitudes to align uh, with God's way of thinking, with Jesus Christ's way of thinking. And the Holy Spirit in us helps us to be convicted in that regard, to want to obey God, to want to have clean and good and peaceable and righteous thoughts, not carnal thoughts. And that's what verse uh, 5 is referring to about the Spirit uh, yearning jealously. We could go through uh, the entire chapter. Let's just read two more verses, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, submit to God, that famous scripture, submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your your hearts, you double-minded. And God does not want us to be double-minded. He wants us to be fully 
uh, servants of him, fully friends of Jesus Christ. He wants us to be uh, fully Christian, to be fully committed to that way of life, to his law and to letting Christ live in us and to righteousness. So I think in James chapter 4, as well as the verses I mentioned a moment ago, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 and John 8 verse uh, 44, we have established what we all know. We've reminded ourselves that it is Satan who in a very real way is influencing uh, the affairs of men and the attitudes of men. Now, we understand that it's going to get worse before Christ's return. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 24, and I'm sure that many of you uh, can predict where I am going and probably in other sermons leading up to the Feast of Trumpets or sermonettes. We've already turned to these scriptures, but let's notice just a couple verses in Matthew 24. Because, brethren, it's going to get worse before the king returns. Matthew 24, verse 6. In verse uh, 3 and 4, the disciples ask Christ to explain to them what the signs will be before the the, the second coming and the end of the age. And in verse 6, we have that famous passage where Christ says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. We we see that in the news. Of course, there have been wars for uh, millennia, but we see these increasing. It's just terrible to consider. I won't uh, dwell on current events, but it is terrible to consider what's happening in Syria right now. It's just terrible. But also in Iraq and different parts of northern Africa, even in Eastern Europe and throughout parts of Asia. But then you consider even in Mexico, where we have the ongoing, long-running drug uh, drug wars. There, there, there is violence around the earth, and we hear about that on the news. And it says in verse six that that we will hear about wars and rumors of wars, but we are not to be troubled. And we'll come back to that concept in a moment, but it's interesting that we're told by Jesus Christ not to let these troubling events, this troubling news, trouble us. And there's a reason that it should not trouble us. That's because we should be convicted, we should have Christ living in us, and we should know that you know God has a plan, and that we're part of that plan, and that we can make it through the years to come. I'll come back to that in a, in a moment. But God, we should know that God's not leaving the, the world under Satan's sway forever. It's not that we don't care. It's not that we're not compassionate or, or pray for those who are in harm's way or who are suffering. But we should not let ourselves start to stumble or lose faith. So we continue down in verse 7. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now, as you all understand, uh, I hope, and if you if you don't, I won't spend much time on it. But remember... That nation here is ethnos, and uh, kingdom is basilia, ethnos and basilia. And ethnos stands for ethnicities, you know, the great families that that uh, God has created. And God loves all the different nationalities. He loves all the different families. God God uh, created Adam and Eve, and, and all who live are, are sons and daughters of, of Adam and Eve. Uh, so God is uh, uh, not against any... Uh, any ethnicity or any any uh, nationality, but Jesus Christ here says that there will become more conflict between the the ethnicities and the races, and that's what uh, ethnos uh, uh, indicates that there will be conflict. Nation will rise against nation. That's ethnicity against ethnicity. Uh, we see this. We see this all over. We see this in the United States, uh, in a lot of our cities. But we also see this throughout the Middle East and, and, and all around the world, even in the Asian nations, where there will even be different Asian people who will uh, be in conflict with each other. So this is not as simple as a, a white 
thing or a black thing or a you know a, 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 a an Asian thing. It's it's all uh, na- nations or all ethnicities around the world uh, have that that carnality that Satan stirs up where they strive against uh, each other. And then we see in verse uh, uh, seven, or I'm sorry, verse. Yes, verse 7, that also kingdom will be against kingdom. And there we have uh, national kingdoms. We have, we have states. We have political governments that will, will be against each other. And it says, you know, Jesus Christ is very clear that, that these things, this strife will increase. So, again, the title of the sermon for the Feast of Trumpets today is Why the King Must Return. And I think we're just reviewing uh, what we already understand that it's Satan's world and that conflict is going to increase as the end of the age approaches. Now, I'd like to just skip down a few more verses in Matthew 24 to verse 37. And I think that this is also a a scripture we understand, verse verse 37. But uh, sometimes I think some people sometimes get it a little bit confused, and I'd like to uh, go through and and explain what the church teaches and, and what the Bible uh, is telling us what God's telling us here in verses uh, 36 and 37. Notice verse 36. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, of course, at some point in the future, there will be a time when we will be able to understand when Christ will return. Uh, after the abomination of desolation, after we see these major end-time events, which are uh, indicated, or sorry, which are uh, noted by Jesus Christ in Matthew, also in Daniel, there will be a time in the future when we see the events of Revelation unfolding, and when we are, uh, you know, three years, three and a half years out from Christ's return, we will at that time know that we're getting close to Christ's return, and we'll 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 know. But at this point, we haven't seen the abomination of desolation yet. Uh, we haven't seen, uh, you know, the church being taken by God to a place of protection. So <clears throat> this contextually is talking about the time during Jesus Christ and the apostles, but also the time uh, that we live in now before those final end time events where, uh, you know, where Daniel said that, you know, there would be understanding at the end of the age regarding what those events uh, indicated. Verse 37, then Jesus Christ says, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the son of man be. For as in the days before the flood, so the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. So life was going on, basically, is what Jesus Christ uh, is, is, is telling us. He's, he's recalling uh, that before the flood, life was going on. They were eating, drinking, giving in marriage. But there was also just rampant evil uh, going on during the days of Noah. <clears throat> Let's turn to Second uh, Peter chapter uh, 5. We're not done discussing the days of Noah, but let's just uh, get a little more context uh, from Scripture, Second Peter chapter 5, about how it was during the days of Noah, Second Peter chapter uh, 2, sorry, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, and uh, God did not spare, breaking into a thought, God did not spare the ancient world, uh, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So we see here, Peter tells us that it was an, an ungodly world. And we, of course, know it was. People will occasionally uh, speculate and they'll say, well, you know, it indicates uh, in Matthew 
that um, you know that life will be going on and, and maybe things won't be that bad. I've, I've heard some people who believe in a in a rapture. There's that false teaching of a of a of an unexpected rapture where you know we're just going about our our, our life and all of a sudden Christ returns and that's a false teaching. And sometimes people will look at Matthew chapter 24 and they'll use that verse. Uh, speaking of uh, in the days of Noah, you know, the coming of the Son of Man will be. And they'll say, well, see, it's going to come upon us unexpectedly. But that's not <clears throat> what Jesus Christ says in Matthew 24. He says that there are these significant signs. But there's another fallacy there. Sometimes people say, well, it won't be that bad. Because in the days of Noah, uh, Christ said they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage. But remember what the Bible says. Let the Bible, you know, explain uh, itself. Turn back to Genesis chapter 6. And again, I, I know that this is nothing new for, for almost all of you, but in Genesis chapter 6, uh, we let the Bible explain to us how it was in the days of Noah. And it wasn't, life wasn't uh, good. Yes, there was giving in, in marriage and there were, there were parties and whatever, but notice what the Bible says in Genesis uh, chapter 6, verse 5. <clears throat> then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Uh, you know, some translations will uh, say that you know all day long mankind thought of evil. And, and brethren, I'm not going to dwell on all the the, the, the negatives uh, and and all the sins and all the evils, but I think that this this applies today. This this is the way the world is behaving more and more as the years go by. Uh, all the day long. The, the, the meditations and thoughts of, of men and women is on evil continually, is what the Bible uh, says about the days of Noah. <clears throat> you think about people that are um, obsessed with violence and violent entertainment. You think about the people that are obsessed with pornography and pornographic uh, movies and, and websites. You think about the people who are just... Um, you know, uh, uh, angry with others, and they they think about revenge. Uh, you think about the, whether it's politicians or business leaders or average people, uh, people who are just conniving and and they're they're lawless and they want to get ahead and they're 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 prideful, they're boastful. Um, <clears throat> we do see a time when evil is increasing. Uh, you look at what is happening in the in the technology world. Uh, with um, augmented virtual reality and and, uh, and and augmented reality and 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 androids and robots and there are some really disgusting bad things that that is starting to come that the 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 leading um, scientists and technologists uh, their minds are going this direction and we really see this dystopian uh, world starting to unfold where uh, things are getting very very evil and <clears throat> whether it's uh, you know young or, or old. Uh, so much evil is available uh, at your fingertips, on your smartphone, on your tablet, on your computer screen, on your television screen. And the thoughts and, 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 and meditations of people is, is on evil, uh, so much more than it used to be. And so Jesus Christ uh, said that it, it's going to be like that at the end of the age, as it was in the days of Noah. In Matthew 24, verse 37, that's what he tells us. And we've seen that... In the, in the days of Noah, it was an evil age, so evil that God had to bring the flood. <clears throat> Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Again, why must the king return? Uh, brethren, the world needs to be saved out of this, this evil, this bondage. Uh, back uh, years ago in the church, we had, uh, I remember the, the book, 
um, a world held captive, and it had the the on the cover the little um, uh, prison bar uh, bars, <clears throat> and I remember that very powerful visual um, communication of, of of a world being held captive. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we see yet another example of, of a world that is captive to Satan's attitudes, um, his, his thoughts of, of evil and, and brutality. 2 Timothy 3 verse 1. Uh, but know this, in the last days, perilous times will come, times of distress. Now, for those of us who live in the Western world or, you know, parts of of Latin America or, or Australia or even you know many parts throughout Asia where we there's still relative peace and safety, uh, it may not seem that terrible yet. But for so many people in the world, it is. And for so many people, even in these cities in the Western world, they live in fear and they have um, you know a dangerous journey back and forth to school. There's been school shootings. There's been shootings in churches. There's been uh, you know there's been bullying, of course, for forever. Um, we, we live in perilous times. And here, uh, Paul says, in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, and proud, and blasphemers, and disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Uh, these, are, these are attitudes that will occur in the last days. So, no, the world's not going to get better. Uh, the United Nations is not going to make the world uh, better. Uh, I, you know, we should appreciate what the governments and, and agencies like the UN, we should appreciate what they try to do that is good. Now, often they are trying to do things that are good, but there's corruption even, you know, within the, the, the governments and the agencies that are trying to do good. And they're not going to be able to solve the world's problems. On the authority of the Bible, we are told that the world's problems will get worse. Uh, people will be unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty. There's this long list of, of these very wrong attitudes. Um, verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Uh, even <clears throat> even some people that claim or profess to be Christian um, are going to um, to have these wrong attitudes and these, the, be guilty of these sins. And we're told to turn away. From those those people, uh, remember friendship with the world is enmity against God. Um, so I won't go through all the rest of of, of the, the the passage verses six, seven, and eight and nine would be worth reading. But in the end of the age, increasing lawlessness, increasing um, anger toward others, blaspheming, unforgiving. You know these are attitudes we need to be careful about in our own lives. Of course, we we understand that. Uh, as we approach the Passover season, we we meditate, and we should do this every day of the year, but we meditate and we pray, we ask God to show us where we can be kinder, more forgiving, uh, where we can, uh, you know, uh, God will help us overcome some sin that we're still dealing with. And we should, we should pray to become more godly and show fruits of the Spirit, uh, you know, 365 days out of the year. But here... As relates to the Feast of Trumpets, we see that as the end of the age approaches, uh, the world's attitudes will get much, much worse. Uh, brutal, despisers of good. <clears throat> you see what's happening in the Middle East. Um, just their, their brutality was so terrible. But there's brutality around the world. There's brutality in, in England, and there's brutality in France. There's brutality in Canada. I was reading something recently that said, this, this statistic just shocked me, it's not part of my notes, but said that one in eight French women 
has been raped. One in eight. Not that one in eight uh, might be, but that one in eight has been. And I just thought, wow, that's just uh, unbelievable. I mean, I, I believe it, but... It's just, it's unbelievable um, that, that the world is that evil and it's going to get worse. That's what Jesus Christ says in Matthew. That's what we see here in 2 Timothy. <clears throat> so we see that the attitudes are going to get worse. Why else must the king return? We've already touched on it, but not only will attitudes and the corruption of, of, of our society, of our institutions become worse, but we know that there will actually be a class of civilizations. <clears throat> Psalm 83, let's turn there quickly. Psalm 83 uh, talks about an end-time Muslim-Arab confederation, initially allied with Assyria, which we know from the Bible is Germany, which will seek to destroy modern Israel, that small Jewish state. Let's turn to Psalm 83 in the Middle East, but also will attempt to destroy the American and British descended people. Psalm 83. This is a prophetic psalm, and, and Mr. Armstrong has referenced this. We've referenced it uh, in our literature from time to time. I thought it'd be a good place to start uh, when we discuss the, the clash of civilizations. That's another reason the king must return. So do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace. Do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people. So within the context of what we already discussed, which is more uh, violent attitudes and more um, <clears throat> uh, 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 lack of forgiveness and, and being headstrong and haughty at the end of the age, now we see that, that there will be a geopolitical uh, movement. There will be uh, crafty counsel taken against God's people. Verse 3, uh, and they've consulted together against the sheltered ones and have said, come, let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. And then verses 5, 6, and 7, uh, we have this reference to these uh, Arab uh, Arab peoples, these descendants of, of Ishmael and these Arab people. And we see these, uh, these people come together in a confederacy uh, against Israel. So Edom and uh, the Ishmaelites, <clears throat> the Hagrites, uh, Ammon, Amalek, uh, Amalek uh, the Phil- Philistines, uh, Tyre. But notice here in verse 8, Assyria has joined with them, and they have helped the children of Lot. What you see here, and the church has, has uh, talked about this and, and um, uh, speculated about this before, is you, you, you see insight into uh, many nations coming together against modern Israel at the end of the age. When I say modern Israel, the U.S., British-descended peoples, as well as Judah. And, and part of that uh, confederacy is Assyria. Now, who's Assyria going to be at the end of the age? It's going to be the, the king of the, of the north. So the indication is that this alliance um, is coming together before the king of the north uh, goes down to attack the king of the south, obviously. So this, the indication is this would be before the actual three and a half year term, uh, period that we normally refer to as the Great Tribulation. <clears throat> we can turn to Isaiah chapter 10, where we have a, um, a, what I believe is a parallel, uh, scripture that gives us insight into the attitudes, the intent of this alliance. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. 
I will send him against an ungodly nation and against the people of my wrath. I will give him charge to seize the spoil, to take prey and to tread him down like the mire in the streets. <clears throat> and so um, you have verses seven and eight. Uh, you have um, <clears throat> a reference to to Assyria leading an end-time alliance against Israel and Judah. And their intent is to destroy modern Israel, the descendants of Jacob. Well, this is another reason the king must return. Not only do we see attitudes in the world that are going to get worse and it's going to be more dangerous to live just in our our, uh, neighborhoods, but we see that all the powers uh, are going to to, uh, form a confederacy to want to destroy uh, the descendants of Jacob the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And this leads, of course, to the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, We're back in the Old Testament. Let's turn a few uh, pages over to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 7. And we have a time here which Jesus Christ also talked about in Matthew. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. We have a day that is described that is being uh, so terrible that there, there, there was no time uh, like it before. Alas, that day is great, so that none is like it. And, and Christ says later that, that there will be none like it again in the future. Um, <clears throat> it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. So, brethren, why must the king return? Uh, we have the potential destruction of the descendants of, of Jacob as well. So we see a world really on the edge of brutality and violence and godlessness, but also on the edge, and this is still a little bit in the future, of, of wanting to destroy the nations of, of modern Israel, uh, where they would, they would be destroyed if God would not intervene. Let's continue that story just a little bit. Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11. These are events that will precede the return of Christ. <clears throat> when, when things are good, people don't, uh, you know, pray for the return of Christ. Uh, true Christians, uh, should always pray for his return. But, uh, when life is good, people have their jobs and money and so forth. They're not as concerned. But, but brethren, when these events start to unfold, uh, people will be sobered and, and they will, uh, they will pray. And they, you know, we pray that we can witness to the world effectively and powerfully, and that more people uh, will come into the church, that God will call more uh, fellow uh, laborers, more co-workers, uh, and that God will save more out of out of the world, not just out of the Israelitish nations, but out of the world. And we pray that God would uh, grant people repentance. We pray that God would grant our nation's repentance. But sadly, based on the authority of Christ, based on so many scriptures, brethren, you know that the world will not repent you know that the king must return in order to establish righteousness. And so here in Daniel chapter 11, we continue uh, the conversation about uh, Jacob's trouble at the end of the age. Verse 42, uh, we have the king of the north, and we we drop down into verses 40 and 41, talk about the king of the north coming down into into the Middle East and into Jerusalem and the glorious land, and uh, but some will escape. Those who were allied with the king of the north, with Assyria earlier, as Psalm 83 seems to indicate, now are being attacked by the king of the north. And so verse 43, or sorry, 42, uh, God will stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. So we see here that um, the king of the north will come down and, and attack the king of the south. 
And it's interesting, I, I think, because in Psalm 83, uh, Egypt and Libya uh, and Ethiopia um, are, are not specifically mentioned, but here in, in um, Daniel chapter 11, they are. Here in Daniel chapter 11, we have these other Arab and Middle Eastern nations that are specifically mentioned as being part of a southern alliance who are no longer allied with Germany, as some of them uh, were in Psalm 83. And I apologize, I said none of them are mentioned. Uh, Egypt, um, let's turn back to Psalm 83. I want to check my check my uh, my notes here real quickly, check, check my memory, because it is interesting to me <clears throat> that you see in Daniel, Egypt, and Libya, and Ethiopia specifically uh, referenced, but in Psalm 83. And I just want to check my, my recollection quickly. Um, you have, uh, <clears throat> right, so you have Edom and the Ishmaelites and Moab and the Hagrites and Gebel and Ammon and Amalek and Phil- Philistia and Tyre and Assyria and so forth, <clears throat> the children of Lot, but you don't have specifically mentioned, for example, uh, Egypt or specifically mentioned um, Ethiopia. So what it seems to indicate is that <clears throat> they're not part of that earliest alliance, maybe not officially, um, and then in, and then they're eventually attacked uh, it, as it's de- as is described in Daniel chapter 11. So then we have news from the east and the north that troubles the king of the north in verse 44, and so he has to go out and there's a huge battle uh, between the king of the north and the kings from the east. Just a terrible time, World War III which will lead up to Armageddon. Uh, But we know it doesn't end there, does it? So why must uh, Christ return? Uh, The world is heading to to World War III. Uh, Before we move on to the next part of the sermon, let's turn to Revelation chapter 16 and just sort of remind ourselves about how bad it will become and, and, and where this is all headed to. Revelation chapter 16. And then we'll we'll move on and talk a little bit about what we can do and what we need to take out, uh, what lessons we need to take from the Feast of of Trumpets. Uh, Revelation chapter 16 and verse 10, and we're dropping down into the bowl judgments here, Revelation 16 verse 10, and we have the fifth bowl. So this is toward the end of the Great Tribulation, and we have toward the end of the Day of the Lord, and you have a very just uh, terrific uh, terrible time when really all flesh would 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 perish if God wouldn't intervene and, and send Christ to to intervene. Verses 10 and 11, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and the kingdom became full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. Uh, <clears throat> this is a horrific uh, time where we're well into the Great Tribulation and, and even into the Day of the Lord, and God is punishing the, 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 the nations that oppose Him, and specifically the beast and those who worship the beast, and they don't repent. Instead, they blaspheme against God. And so then the sixth bowl is released, and uh, the, the sixth angel pours out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And here we have... Uh, what was referenced in Daniel chapter 11 just a few minutes ago. And notice how it even gets worse. Verse 13, uh, unclean spirits, demons, like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the mouth of the beast, the mouth of the false prophet. Uh, these, these human leaders are possessed by powerful, horrible, terrible demons, demonic powers, demonic spirits. 
uh, verse 14, these are the spirits of demons. They perform signs and they go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them together to the, in, uh, to the battle of that great day of God Almighty, which is the battle of, of Armageddon. And then notice verse 15. Christ kind of gives us a little bit of, um, of encouragement here. He says, Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches. Now, brethren, <clears throat> we've just gone over how God describes through Scripture how bad it's going to get. Not only do we have the, the violence and, and the lawlessness today that we see in society, not only do we have the wars that are smoldering, and they're, they're terrible atrocities around the world today, but we've seen how... Uh, there will be alliances against modern Israel, the, the descendants of Jacob. We see how that will turn into World War III. We see how we'll have, and we didn't go through all of the, you know, the, the four horsemen and the, all of the events uh, in the Great Tribulation and the Day of the Lord, but we, we broke into the Day of the Lord here and saw how terrible that will become, will be, and will lead up to uh, the Battle of Armageddon. But brethren, let's just pause for a second, because it's a lot of material, and it's easy to sort of, be overwhelmed by the amount of, of, of action or activity. But consider, why must Christ return? Brethren, this is the worst. You know, Hollywood cannot make a horror movie more scary than this. You have rife demonic possession by, of the leaders of military powers and religious powers. You have nuclear bombs and missiles flying around. You've got probably other types of warfare. I'm sure drone warfare. I'm sure artificial intelligence, uh, weaponry. And um, you've got just just the worst time. Uh, no time has been this bad before. Not even the Holocaust or World War II, which was terrible. Uh, you have modern Israel in captivity at this time. The modern uh, Jacob <clears throat> um, in captivity. And so Christ has to return. The world is spiraling into violence, brethren. And Christians need to be brave in the face of this coming violence. Uh, Christians need to have confidence knowing that the Feast of Trumpets points to Christ returning and cleaning things up. He'll return as conquering kings. As Dr. Meredith would often uh, emphasize, there's only one thing that the world's leaders will understand, and that is overwhelming force. And Christ will come with overwhelming force. <clears throat> but in the meantime, uh, we have to face this future with, with, with faith. Let's turn to a few scriptures here uh, that, that discuss that. Acts chapter 4. Just a few scriptures, brethren. Because we've gone through some pretty uh, terrible um, uh, prophecies uh, where the world is going to face these, these terrible things. But Christians need to be, um, <clears throat> I guess we need to be, strengthened, we need to not lose heart, not become faint. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Acts 4, verse 13. Uh, here we have the apostles, uh, Peter and James, I'm sorry, Peter and John, <clears throat> and the apostles are being uh, persecuted, and they're being told by the governing authorities that they should not preach the gospel, they cannot even mention the name of Jesus Christ. And how did they respond in the face of that Persecution. This was real persecution. They didn't know if they were going to be killed, if they were going to be crucified. They didn't know. Um, and so in the face of that persecution, uh, what was their attitude? Did they have faith? Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and realized that uh, 
that they had been with Jesus. <clears throat> and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves. So these are the, the, the religious leaders, and they, uh, they want uh, you know, to stop the preaching of the gospel, the, the proclamation that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he's the Messiah. And verse 16, they say, What shall we do to these? For indeed, uh, a notable miracle was been done. You know, we can't deny it. But so that it spread, so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them uh, that from now on they should not speak, you know, his name. So verse 18. So they called them, the, the disciples, um, and they, they asked, they, they commanded them, the, the, the apostles, to not speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Notice verse 19. But Peter and John, would we have this attitude? Would we have this faith? They answered and said to them, whether it is right to stand uh, sorry, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no, no punishment that they could give them. Uh, but they stood up to that persecution. They were bold. And as Christians, we need to be bold, brethren, as we see uh, the events unfolding. We need to not lose heart. As Christians, we also need to be peacemakers. We need to remember that we should not get caught up in the anger and the attitudes of the world. Let's notice in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We need to be very careful about our own attitudes. Uh, We've been warned by God that there would be increasing lawlessness and bad attitudes uh, that would uh, become more prevalent at the end of the, the age. And we have to make sure we're not caught up in that. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Uh, Brethren, I don't doubt that that some of us, probably most of us, will be reviled as the the years go by, uh, that you or I will be falsely accused by neighbors, by people who used to be friends. Uh, We should not return evil for evil. We don't want to... uh, uh, you know, start throwing accusations back at people. We don't want to let hatred uh, develop in our hearts. We don't want to, um, you know, to behave anything less than than as a Christian. Uh, verse 19, or sorry, verse 18. If at all possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Think about that as as the neighborhoods and society and maybe our work uh, environment or. Um, school or whatever, as things get worse and there are accusations made against you or against God's church, uh, as much as you can, our job is to live peaceably, um, not give place for wrath, verse 19, not try to take vengeance ourselves. turn the other cheek as Jesus Christ said, remember that vengeance belongs to God, he will repay. Therefore, verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, if he is thirsty, give him drink. <clears throat> for in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, we shouldn't try to be nice to people in order to uh, leap coals of fire on their head. That's not the intent. That's, that's the wrong intent. Uh, we are to uh, provide even for our enemy, not attack them, not uh, argue with them. Now, you can defend yourself if, if somebody accuses you of, um, you know, being a, a lawbreaker or something and, you say, no, I'm, I'm not, but, but we should not uh, get into arguments or try to take vengeance. We should live peaceably. 
brethren, we need to have boldness like the apostles did in front of the Pharisees. Uh, and they did not dis- they did not decline to preach the gospel or preach Jesus Christ. But we also need to, um, again, to be peace- peaceable as much as we can. So <clears throat> why must the king return? I think we've seen uh, how terrible it's going to be as the uh, end of this age approaches. Now, the good news is Jesus Christ will return. He will return. Uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 31. Matthew 24, verse 31. And verse 30 says that the, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Verse 31. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Uh, the chosen ones will be gathered. <clears throat> and I've always thought this is an interesting and very inspiring verse. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 31. Uh, why would, or what, I guess what is the, 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 the full uh, uh, explanation of this? Uh, he will send his angels with the sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds. His chosen ones is how some uh, interpretations or translations uh, translate it. Well, Yes, the dead in Christ will raise first, and they are dead and buried around the, the earth. Those in the place of protection, place of safety, uh, they're in one location. But I think if we have time and get to it, as we'll see later, uh, there is also an indication that there will be many who will come out of the tribulation whom God will, will, will call at that time, who he will save out of tribulation. Uh, that's an ancient prophecy in Jeremiah. We'll hopefully look at that in a few, a few minutes. But Christ will return with the sound of a trumpet, Matthew 24, verse 31. We see the same in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13, 14, 15, where Jesus Christ will return with the sound of a trumpet. We see the same thing in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, that the seventh angel will sound at Christ's return. The Feast of Trumpets reminds us that Jesus Christ will return as conquering king, at that seventh trumpet. Uh, <clears throat> let's, um, let's notice <clears throat> a few things that trumpets can, can signify. Uh, there are many uh, different things that a trumpet blast uh, signifies according to Scripture. And I'd like to go over very quickly just four. Uh, the first is that it signifies a, a new king or, or announces a new king when a king is announced either when a king takes his throne or when a king is uh, 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 crowned, you have a trumpet. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 1. 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 32. 1 Kings 1 verse 32. And this applies to Jesus Christ uh, when he returns uh, at the second coming. 1 Kings 1 verse 32. And David said, come to me, Zadok the priest. Or, uh, sorry, David said, call to me, Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king. And verse 33, uh, the king also said to them, take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on his own mule and take him down to Gihon. So, so Solomon is going to be pronounced as king. And this is one of the meanings of a trumpet blast, that it, it proclaims uh, the king. Uh, verse 37, we don't have time for the whole passage. As the Lord has been with my Lord the King, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord the uh, King David. Uh, verse 38, 
<clears throat> so Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the uh, Cherites and the uh, Pelahites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and took him to Gihon. Then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon, and they blew the horn, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. Brethren, trumpets announce a new king, and just as Solomon's reign was bigger and grander than David's, uh, Jesus Christ's reign, there will be no comparison. His reign will be grander and bigger than, than David's or than Solomon's. There will be nothing that will compare. His king, his kingdom and his rule will encompass the whole earth and the whole universe. And so that trumpet blast, yes, it, 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 it announces war. It announces danger. But it also announces and proclaims Jesus Christ's return as the king of kings. Uh, what else does a trumpet blast uh, signify? It also signifies the appearance of God. Uh, let's turn back to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19 and verse 16. Exodus 19 verse 16. So Exodus 19 verse 16. Here we have Israel at Mount Sinai. Exodus 19 verse 16. And it says that on uh, the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of a trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp, they all trembled. Uh, that's uh, verse, um, uh, verse 16. Verse 17, Moses brought uh, the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Verse 18, now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it, the eternal descended upon the mountain in fire. And this isn't even in his whole glory, of course, but his presence was there and the whole mountain shook greatly. Verse 19, what then occurred? The blast of a trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder. And Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. The the, the sound of a trumpet also signifies the presence of God, the presence of the eternal. Uh, brethren, I, I just don't think that we understand, I don't think I fully uh, understand just how, how powerful it will be when Christ's presence comes down to the earth. And of course, uh, he'll return with us if we uh, <clears throat> are worthy of the first resurrection. But how powerful his, just his presence will be. Not only will the uh, earth have been through the, you know, the, the plagues and the bulls, but just that presence, uh, him in his glory, I think will be overwhelming. Uh, we won't turn to it, but we, we know that trumpets also signify battle. Uh, Jeremiah 4, verse 5, trumpets are an alarm of war. And I do want to turn to Joel chapter 2. We see that trumpets also announce um, the day of the Lord. Trumpets also announce the day of the Lord. In uh, Joel chapter 2, verse 1, blow the, blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Uh, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. God here is saying, blow the trumpet and, and all of Zion, all of the earth, all of the creation, all of the heavenly uh, government, all the heavenly, uh, 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 you know, the kingdom of God that's, that's currently, you know, in heaven. Uh, everyone will be witnessed to, will be, will be told that the day of the Lord is at hand. And let the inhabitants of the land tremble. The day of the Lord is coming, a day of darkness and gloominess and, and so forth. Um, <clears throat> so trumpets um, announce 
the king, they announce the appearance of God, they announce war, and they announce the day of the Lord. Um, and they announce the return of the king. I mentioned earlier that there seems to be an indication in Matthew uh, that there will be some that will be gathered in, uh, from the corners of the earth. Um, <clears throat> let's turn to uh, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 27. Isaiah 27. This is a, a hopeful promise, a hopeful passage. Because the Feast of Trumpets is not only about uh, doom and gloom, it's, it's really about hope. It's about uh, Christ coming and, and uh, taking the earth away from Satan's sway and instilling a good, righteous government and freeing the captives uh, that have been captive to sin, that have been captive in a real way uh, in Satan's world to, uh, uh, you know, even in the, in the Great Tribulation that have been uh, literal captives. And so Isaiah chapter 27, this is a, a very hopeful promise in verse uh, 12, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will thresh from the channel of the river and to the brook of Egypt, and you will be gathered one by one, you, O children of Israel. So it shall be in that day that the great trumpet will be blown. They will come who are about to perish in the land of Assyria, who are outcasts in the land of Egypt, who shall and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem." Brethren, this is a literal uh, warning and a literal promise where at the end of the Great Tribulation, uh, Christ will return and will bring the descendants of modern Jacob out of the captivity that they will be in uh, in World War III. This will be worse than the Holocaust of World War II. And this is a promise that God will send Christ, the eternal Christ, will return and will redeem and bring Jacob out of captivity where they've been taken. You see this same promise, I won't turn to it, uh, because I want to turn to a different scripture in just a second. In Amos chapter 9, verses 14 and 15, it says, I will bring back the captives of Israel, and they will build the waste cities again. They will inhabit them. They will make vineyards. They will drink wine. They will have peace, and they will have prosperity. And they will will not be uh, pulled up again. Amos chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. Uh, This is also what the Feast of Trumpets points to. Uh, The very real redemption of those who survived the tribulation. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31. Mr. Armstrong, uh, I believe, is the first in the modern uh, era of God's church who who brought this point out. Uh, Maybe it was... Uh, one of the earlier evangelists who, who worked you know, under him, but um, I remember Mr. Armstrong mentioning this. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 31. This is another uh, hopeful promise where it indicates that Israel will come out of captivity. They will be saved and there will be this, this, um, uh, this uh, second exodus where they will come out of captivity. Jeremiah 31 verse 1. At the time, at the, at the same time, this is the time of the end, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Uh, verse 2. The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. This is a reference to those of, of modern Jacob who survive, uh, the four horsemen, the great tribulation, and survive captivity during the great tribulation. That they, those who survived, 
uh, many of them, they'll, they, have, they will have found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when I went to him to give him rest. <clears throat> the Moffat translation uh, describes or, or translates this as those who survive the sword shall find grace in the dungeon. Those who survive uh, the tribulations shall find grace in captivity. And brethren, I've often uh, wondered if this is uh, an, uh, a warning uh, really to those uh, of Laodicea. That, you know, we have a choice. We can preach the gospel of the kingdom of God with as much zeal and power as we can. Uh, we can try to live a right life, a good life, uh, obey all of the Ten Commandments, try to uh, show the fruits of the Spirit uh, in, in, our, in our daily lives, uh, learn humility, <clears throat> learn kindness, and so forth, um, and be zealous and on fire. Or if we cut corners, if we are not on fire about preaching the gospel, if we have sins that we just don't try to overcome, uh, there's a very real chance that we end up in the dungeon, in the wilderness, in captivity. And uh, I guess it's it's sobering, but you know it's 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 um, you know interesting as well that that God's God's work even continues then, doesn't it? Perhaps through the two witnesses, perhaps through uh, ministers who are not uh, taken to the place of safety, perhaps through uh, hundreds of thousands of people who have read the magazine, who have watched the telecast, um, who have been to our, our websites, uh, but who are not, for whatever reason, God says they're not on fire, they're not zealous, they, they're, they're still you know, compromising, and they don't go to the place of safety, uh, they'll still have their, their witnessing in the great tribulation, in the dungeon. And uh, I, I pray that that's not us. I pray that we are worthy to escape these things. As Jesus Christ said, he said, pray you're worthy to escape. But even those who don't uh, go to a place of protection will be uh, tasked with doing a work and their lives uh, will be a, a, an example. Let's drop down a couple of verses in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 7. Uh, for thus says the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chief of, of, of the nations. This is after the great tribulation when, when Christ has returned and he's, he's uh, t- bringing Israel out of captivity. Uh, proclaim, give praise and say, O eternal, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel, those who survived the sword. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the ends of the earth. Does this sound like what Christ talked about in Matthew? It's, it's the, it sounds the same to me that those who survive the sword, many of them will find grace in the wilderness um, and they will come out from captivity. And notice, um, there will be many that will be blind and lame. Uh, they will have gone through great, great uh, tribulation and terror and captivity. But they'll come, verse 9, with weeping, with supplications, I will lead them. And God will be compassionate and kind and loving. He is our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And he'll bring rebellious Israel out of tribulation, out of captivity. And I think that what you have here, brethren, is is just another uh, reference to the, the great multitude, the innumerable multitude that comes out of captivity. 
And so they come out with weeping and supplications. God will lead them and He will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they will not stumble. And He will be a father to Israel and to Ephraim, uh, His firstborn. Why must Christ return? Why must the King return? Uh, brethren, we've seen that the world is, is in a terrible, terrible state. Uh, there is murder and rape and, and people being taken hostage and people addicted to drugs and violence around the earth. Uh, there's drugs around the earth. There's, there's, there's more demon activity happening around the earth. There's school shootings. But it's going to get worse and there's going to be World War III where the nations uh, make a confederacy against Israel. And eventually the king of the north <clears throat> takes Israel captive and Israel goes into captivity throughout the, the four, four corners of the earth. We've seen that. But the king will return. The king will return. And there's hope. And Israel will be brought out of captivity. And Satan will be put away. We didn't, you know, didn't have time for that. But Satan will be put away. And most likely on the Day of Atonement. He'll be put away. And we need to have faith and have boldness. So brethren, the Feast of Trumpets, <clears throat> it's a day that pictures Christ's return. And Christ is our hope, and He will return as conquering King. And we need to be faithful, and we need to be conquerors, and we need to not get caught up in the violence. We need to not get caught up in the hatred. And we also need to be conquerors of our own hearts and minds through prayer and through fasting and through Bible study and through repentance. We can overcome the sins that we might be dealing with, most importantly through Christ living in us. So let's conclude with Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We look forward to Jesus Christ's return when Satan, the God of this world, will be uh, put away. What a, what a wonderful, wonderful promise uh, when Satan will be put away, when Israel will be saved out of captivity. And brethren, let's take courage and know that we can do our part in boldness to support the work of God, to preach the good news of Christ's second coming, but also to overcome where we need to overcome, to not be Laodicea and to not uh, be guilty of, of, of unrepentant sin, to, uh, to not allow Satan to influence us uh, as he increases his attacks on the world and even on the church as the end of this age approaches and as he sees his rule coming to an end. We pray that Christ will return and put Satan away and that Christ will establish his government on the earth, a government of peace and of righteousness. And so Romans chapter 8, verse 35, is a little bit of encouragement as we end the sermon today. As we think about the Feast of Trumpets and what it pictures and that we have to be conquerors as well and that when the king returns, we want to be worthy to return with him. Yet in all these things... We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Brethren, that's you and me and our friends around the world that God is working with, that God has called out of this world. You are a conqueror. But you're a conqueror because God loved you, Christ loved you, God and Christ still love you, they're working with you, and Christ lives in those who are baptized and converted and repentant. And through his strength in us, we can be conquerors. And so because of that, brethren, neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor 
anything present or future, none of these things we talked about will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus um, our Lord. Brethren, let's be thankful for Christ's love. Let's be thankful that we can be conquerors. Let's be thankful for the Feast of Trumpets, that God has a plan, and that he will not leave this world in Satan's sway. Why must Jesus Christ return? We've seen, brethren, Christ will return. Let's be very, very thankful for God's plan and for what the Feast of Trumpets pictures.